Amen. Take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> I find it interesting that when I let people know that we were going to be talking about anxiety today, that it was marked by a number of anxious responses. Um, I'm worried. <laughs> it was funny, there was a comment that was made, and I'm, I, I'm excited and worried about this message, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, the, the, the reality is this, before I even read our text this morning, um, those of you that don't know, I want to make sure you do know, the Bible is the holy inspired word of God. It is written almost 2,000 years ago. And, and holy men of God wrote as God moved them. And the things that they wrote almost 2,000 years ago were relevant to them at that moment and relevant to us today. And that can only happen because it's the very Word of God. And so today, as we look at God's Word, what we are going to find is that He knew long before we did that the topic of anxiety would be appropriate for us to talk about in 2019. Um, just to, uh, by, by way of um, explanation and, and, and plan and game plan, um, the outline for this morning is going to really be, I'm going to walk through our passage, we're going to define some of the words that are in there. Then I'm going to talk about some of the things that probably popped up in your head as I defined those words. And then I'm going to talk about uh, how we deal with the anxiety and worry from God's design, how he designed it for us. I am fully anticipating that I'm going to have to bail out at least three quarters of the way through this message because of the amount of time that's going to be needed to talk about this. So this will be a two-part message. However, um, that second part, we will continue in Philippians 4 and just make application from the verses that we're supposed to cover next week, uh, make application into the area of anxiety because it does apply so very, very well. As I'm, that means that as I'm talking, if you have questions or if something I say stirs something in your mind, Grab one of those connection cards in front of you and write it on the connection card. Take that connection card, hand it to me in between, hand, put it back on the counter before the, the sound booth, drop it up here on the front of the stage and we'll collect those and I will deal with any questions that come in. And if I can't deal with them next week in the message, I'll deal with them in some other way during the week this week, whether that be a, a video we make available or an email I send out or, or any of that. And, and this, is, this is the one time you have permission to do this. You ready? You have permission to not put your name on it. Now, typically, if I get something that doesn't have a name on it, well, if you don't have time to put your name on it, I don't have time to read it. That's usually how I handle it. So, um, so, so but this is the one time you don't have to put your name on it, okay, giving you permission. Um, and don't be sneaking things in there about random, like, my, my attire or something, okay? That's dirty tricks. But um, so we'll work on that for, for the next week. Let me, let me read through our passage. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Uh, and then I'm just going to read 5, 6, and 7 this morning. So follow along with me if you have your, your Bible there. <coughs> Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me begin in verse 5 where he says this, let your graciousness be known to everyone. You know you have a difficult word to translate from the Greek. When you open every other major Bible translation, and that word graciousness is translated a different way in every single one of them. So you've got graciousness, you have your gentleness, let your reasonableness, let your contentedness. So there's so many different ways to explain that word. You can tell that those who are translating the Bible are having a difficult time coming to a conclusion about what that actually means. So doing my own personal digging, this is the way I'm going to define that word. The Christian Standard Bible uses the word um, your uh, graciousness. The way I'm going to define that word this morning is this. You ready? It's the undisturbed heart. Let your undisturbed heart be made known to everyone. That idea of the undisturbed heart is everywhere around you, life is tanking. Things are upside down. There is injustice in your life. There are accusations in your life. There's great difficulty in your life, and you have no idea how to move ahead. And yet, in that moment, your heart, your resolve, your life is relatively unshaken because your confidence is someplace else. Your confidence isn't landing in the immediate situation and circumstances surrounding you, your confidence is laid at the foot of the cross. So let your undisturbed heart be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near. Now, there's two different ways you can look at that as well. It can be related to a time thing. So he is coming soon. So the Lord is coming soon. So because he's coming soon, we can be undisturbed knowing that these difficulties are just for a relatively small time because eternity is knocking at the door. He's coming soon. Absolutely. The other way you can understand it is he is near. It's a space thing. He is with us. He is near us. We never accomplish or attack these difficulties on our own. He is always accompanying us in the midst of our difficulties. So let your undisturbed heart be made known to everyone because both God is with you as you deal with those situations and he's coming soon. That's the only way you can have an undisturbed heart, isn't it? So allow that to happen and don't worry about anything or be not anxious for anything. That's the primary problem that this passage is dealing with, the idea of anxiety. What is worry? What is anxiety? Let me go with the actual Greek word, and then I'll define it, okay? The actual Greek word means to be in pieces, to be in pieces. And we can kind of do a couple different things with it as we try to understand what that looks like, but, but I think a better way to understand what it means to be in pieces is to look at a story that's a little bit more clear when it uses that word and it talks about being in pieces. And the story that I'd like to point out to you is found in Luke chapter 10. It's this moment where Jesus arrives in a home and the two women of the home, Mary and Martha, greet him and are enthusiastic about their, 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 them being hospitable towards Jesus. And they're going to have a meal together. And so as they're preparing for the meal, you know the story, Martha is running around the house like a madwoman. Dishes are clanging, silverware is getting chucked around, the table's getting set, food's being cooked. You can hear her in there with the, 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 the knives. She sounds like a ninja. All these and where's Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus doing what? Nothing. At least that's Martha's perspective, right? How's Martha feel about that? She ain't real happy. So you can almost see Martha coming in with the apron on, the sweat pouring off her brow, the food smeared all over her, and she's, she's got the knives in her hands, perhaps, just to make it a little more intense. And she says, Jesus, could you please tell Mary to do something? I am doing all these things, and Mary's sitting here doing nothing. And Jesus' response to her was, Martha, 
Now, Mary's chosen the one thing. And you, like the King James, you are cumbered about with much service. You, while she's focused on the one thing, have a heart that's in many pieces. The idea of worry and anxiety is that's the word picture. So the definition of anxiety for the day is this, this intense desire for something accompanied by the fear of the consequences of not receiving that something. So it's the the intense desire, I want something, I need something, I desire something, but then there's this fear in your heart that continues to come to mind that if I don't receive it, there's going to be dark consequences. Now, you're not going to be anxious when you want a toolbox for Christmas and you lay down at night, man, I really need a toolbox for Christmas. You're not going to be anxious about that because there's really no consequences to you not getting the toolbox for Christmas. But there's a lot of other things that we can lay our head and be severely wracked with anxiety and worry about. Anxiety implies that we think there's some sorrow and anguish around the corner at some point, and our minds just keep running to it. Paul continues, he says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, through prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what do those words actually mean? I'm just going to run through them real quick. The idea of prayer is the attitude of worship. It's enjoying his presence. It's the petitions, the supplications, the requests. Those are the earnest and sincere expressions of your true needs. Let your requests be made known. Those are your wants. Those are the things you ask for. Those are the things you desire. So so when Paul uses those three terms, your prayer, your petitions, and your request, he isn't necessarily laying out, this is how you're supposed to do it. What he's trying to do is give you an overall attitude of prayer in the moments of worry, in the moments of anxiety. So in those moments, you pray, you ask for your needs, you ask for your wants, but it does not operate independent of one other word, and that word is with thanksgiving. In the midst of those prayers, in the midst of of laying out your desires, laying out your needs, being in that moment of, of crying out to God, it does not exist apart from the gratitude that fills your heart when you understand what it is that God has already done for you. And so we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. That was just the definition, so let me not preach yet because I'm doing a terrible job of that. Here we go. Peace of God. talks about when, when you do this and you present your request to God with thanksgiving and prayer and petitions, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts. The idea of, of a peace of God is actually the desired goal in the middle of your anxiety, isn't it? When you're anxious, when you're filled with worry, what do you want? Peace. I just want peace. Now, please understand this, and this is where I'm going to make this application and make it very, very clear, as clear as I can. It's not talking about peace with God. That's not what it says. Peace with God doesn't, isn't coming from this. Peace with God comes through the blood of Jesus Christ as he shed it on the cross for your sins. Peace with God is what Jesus Christ did for you by humiliating himself and taking the place that you deserved on your cross, in your tomb, that's, that's, that's where you get peace with God is when you fall on your face as a, as a sinner and you confess that you're a sinner and he's a wonderful savior and he lived a life that you could never possibly live and because of his blood that was shed on that cross, your sins are forgiver, forever forgiven and you're at peace with God. Another word for peace with God is you are forever reconciled. Your relationship with God again has made, been made right. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're sitting here and you're like, man, I just want peace of mind, and my, I want my heart to be at peace, and I want peace with God, well, that can't happen by any tricks or, 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 or you following a certain uh, regimented routine. Instead, what must happen is you need to fall on your face before the God who created you. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins and depend on Christ to pay for the penalty of your sins. You can't have the peace of God without having peace with God first. So, so when it talks about when these things happen, then the peace of God will come. What's an amazing thing about that peace? It's God's very own peace. Do you think God lives in anxiety or in peace? Pretty, pretty peaceful existence, isn't it? Seeing he is the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who created everything with a word. If you have that amount of power and authority and sovereignty, do you ever worry about anything? No, because you know exactly how it's going to work itself out. You have ordered everything in everybody's life. And so in that moment when there should be anxiety or worry, do you think God even flinches a little? Absolutely not. That very same peace that is in God, the, the opposite of worry and anxiety, that confidence, the confidence in God's good and wise control of your life, the stability that is the very peace of God that is given to you. And that peace, it said, surpasses all understanding. Here's a frankism. It don't make sense. You should be living in complete chaos and a disturbed soul and freaking out and having ulcers eat their way through your stomach. But for some reason, in that moment, you have a peace that nobody else can explain. And that comes from God himself. And that peace will guard your heart's in your minds, that peace will be like a military contingent that walks around with you and protects you from every attack. It guards your hearts, it guards your minds, it guards your feelings, it guards your thoughts. And that's what God will do for you. So, as we walk through all of that, um, there's a few things that pop into our mind. And, 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 and honestly, I could deal with the one that the text deals with, but my fear is I would then alienate a whole mess of you we're sitting here thinking about something else. So instead, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on something called general anxiety disorder. When we hear the word anxiety, many of us instantly run to that. Now, this isn't what the passage is talking about specifically, but I want to make sure I take opportunity to speak about it while I have the opportunity to speak about it. General anxiety disorder is a disorder that is the most common mental health illness in the United States of America. 18 to 23 percent of people 18 years old and older are diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. That's diagnosed. That means there's, there, there, there are rough estimate is there's another 15 to 20% of people on top of that who aren't diagnosed. So conservatively speaking, you could say about 30% of the American public suffers from general anxiety disorder. That means roughly 300 people listening to this morning's message. So I can't just skip over this. What, what causes general anxiety disorder? Past traumatic, trauma, I can't get that word out. Past traumatic, there we go. Past traumatic experiences? Past or present relationships that you find yourself in? Uh, physiological makeup? Some of the symptoms of general anxiety disorder? Um, it's a physiological central nervous system meltdown. 
In other words, uh, a, a fellow who I've been communicating with this week about this says this. Basically, it goes like this. I live a life in which it feels like my feelings are trying to kill me. Uh, the disorder can make, and I'm just talking to this one individual has helped me a, a great deal, can make you feel unable to leave your house. When you do leave your house, you experience vertigo. Vertigo that's so intense you can't drive, you can't stand, you can't even think straight. Some of this affects people in such a way and they go into such a deep bout of depression that they sleep for 18 hours a day. They can't get out of bed. They can't leave their bedroom and it's not like they're just laying in bed thinking. They're out cold. Uh, Sometimes it causes people to be unable to walk into a small group of people and I'm not talking an introvert. I'm talking it gives them a a real and specific physical uh, manifestation of, for some, a stroke. For some, a heart attack. Because what ends up happening in their body is their heart begins to thump like they're running a marathon. Their adrenal gland begins to to excrete adrenaline at such a high level, it's almost like you are getting ready to engage in this huge battle. And so your body is freaking out with all of these chemicals being coursing through your, your veins, through your body. It's almost like being filled with the biggest energy shot ever. And I don't know about you, but after I spend the day exercising, I'm done exercising. How do you feel after you've done exercising for, you know, maybe the first time in weeks? You're exhausted, right? Which explains why they then fall down and sleep for the next 18 to 20 hours. The the general anxiety disorder is not what this passage is speaking about. However, I believe this passage does give us some help as to how to deal with it. let Let me explain how... Treatment of general anxiety disorder, I'm not going to go into all the specifics, but I'll just say this. The person who's wrestling with this, you need a very wise counselor, somebody who who knows both your physical and psychological and physiological makeup. Here's the the, the, the big picture. So let me me explain it this way. Your, Your physical body and your spiritual body are so intertwined that what happens to your physical body affects your spiritual body. What happens to your spiritual body affects your physical body. Right? So if you have a horrible argument with somebody who you love more than anything else in the world, and there's no sign of rectifying it or reconciling, how does that make your body feel? You get a stomach ache, you can't sleep, you get the sweats. Not that I've ever experienced that, because I never get in arguments with anybody. When I am sick, and I'm having great health problems, it affects my ability to focus and concentrate and to find rest in the one who I should be finding rest in. So, so those two aspects of our life are so very intertwined in ways that we can't even fully see. So, so it actually affects us like this. What you eat, what you drink, how you sleep, how much you exercise, uh, how you deal with the weather that we experience. So, so we had good friends who were missionaries in Alaska and they had to return home from the field because she couldn't handle the constant darkness because it messed with her physiological and psychological makeup. It, it completely messed her up. The, the reality is all of those physical conditions around us affect how we think and affect how we rest in God. Externals affect the internals, internals affect the externals. And so because it's so very intertwined with something like general anxiety disorder, it may require special physical attention, including the possibility of medication. Now, there are people who actually are even sitting in this room who would say medication is a cop-out. 
And yet, they are taking cholesterol medicine, blood pressure medicine, and diabetes medicine. See that divide there? See, medication can be a cop-out. I believe we live in a society right now that instead of dealing with the root problem, we'd rather just throw medicine at it and make people numb. Now, what does medicine do? Medicine is a tool. It's not the answer. It's a tool. It's a tool that gets us to the place where you can hear the answer. And so one of the most helpful things that happened this week is in this discussion with this fellow, his name's Adam Ford, having an opportunity to talk to him about his general anxiety disorder. I said, how, how would you tell me to encourage you as you're going through some of the things you struggle with in general anxiety disorder? He said, do this. Remind me of the thing that matters most. Remind me that I've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Remind me that my status before God is secure and it's not dependent upon how I feel. It's dependent on the finished work of Christ. And I will read this direct quote from him. Even when I am being smothered by a wet blanket of anxiety, I need to know that God sees me as his beloved child, perfectly clothed in the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, now, all that was free. (laughs) And it'll probably cause the most questions, but that's okay. What I want to get to is really worry The anxiety that Philippians 4 is talking about, the anxious concern about possible misfortune. And as presented here in this passage, I need you to hear this. This is so very important, so much so, I will read it again. Do not worry about anything. So that means if we yield to our anxiety in this way, yield to our worry, it is sin. Well, thanks. That's a lot of help. Well, hey man, I'm just jumping in with you. There is, in fact, no human being on the planet who doesn't struggle with some level of anxiety and worry. You want proof? Here's my proof. When God says stop doing something or don't do something, you know why he says it? Because you're doing it. And so for God to talk about worry here, for God to talk about it in in Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. See, it doesn't say I will never struggle with fear. It doesn't say that, 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 that the person who struggles with fear, man, they're, they're just hopeless and they obviously aren't in Christ. No, it says when fear strikes, the battle begins. The Bible doesn't assume that true believers will have no anxieties. Instead, the Bible tells us how to fight those anxieties. It does it again in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. It doesn't say you will never feel anxieties. It says when you have them, chuck them on God. What, what causes our worry? I'm going to run through a quick list for you. A lack of time. A lack of time causes worry. We're always working. We're always coming. We're always going. It's not like we've engaged in the the created order of rhythm as God had created it. You know how he did that, right? Sun up, sun down. Sun up, sun down. See, we should align ourselves with the rhythm of God's creation where it's work and then don't work. Work and then don't work. But for some reason, we have engaged in this thing where we feel like we have to work all the time. Part of it is because of that constant interruption of technology. Technology. That thing that makes your phone beep and boop at you at the worst times. That thing that that causes you to think that you need to check your email every moment of every day, even when nobody's emailing you. So let me ask you a question. Do you really need to be accessible 24-7? 
You gotta answer that one for yourself and you have to answer it honestly. Do you really need to be accessible 24-7? Um, <laughs> I can challenge you to do this because I've already done it. I challenge you to remove your work email from your phone. I, I know, I know, but here, here's the reality. We are not that important. We like to think we are. We're not. Here's a further step. I dare you. I started doing this too. made people nervous. Turn off your phone for 24 hours. Just turn it off. I mean, tell your wife first. I mean, that would be important, but <laughs> turn off your phone. One of the causes of anxiety in our lives is we have this constant go, 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 and we never stop. One of the causes of anxiety, as strange as it may seem, is actually success. See, when you're a failure, people will come alongside you and rub your back. They'll bake you a cake. They'll talk you up. Like, that. just get back in there. You'll be fine, and they'll feel bad for you. When you're a success, they criticize you and then shoot at you. So success can be a cause of worry. Your health can be a cause of worry. That spot, that cough, that weird pain Maybe seeing people around you who are suffering with ailments, and then you start doing the worst possible thing, self-diagnosing. Actually, the worst possible thing is going on WebMD. Then, then you think, I got leprosy, no! Um, <laughs> but health, health can create extreme worry and anxiety. So somebody mentioned this this week when I asked, and they're right. Um, the situation in our country right now, as you look around our country, and I don't mean who's in power, who's not in power, forget all that. I mean, if you look around a country, what you are going to realize quickly is that the middle no longer exists. So now, either you're embracing the freedom of self-identifying as a goat, or you've stockpiled enough ammunition, you're sitting in your house, and you're going to wipe out the Girl Scouts when they come to sell you Thin Mints. The middle's gone. That brings anxiety. What brings anxiety is financial pains. You long for the day when you elevate yourself to the, to the plateau of broke. <laughs> You're so far beyond that. Those financial pains, your strained personal relationships. This can be at work, this can be in your community, this can be at home. There's, there are so many stressors in those personal relationships that it can tempt you to then react to those, those stressful moments and to isolate yourself. And the problem is, when you isolate yourself, even for the most introverted of introverts, what you're doing is breaking out against everything that God had created you for. He created you as relational beings. And so when you isolate yourself, you become anxious. You begin to think, maybe I'm going to be alone forever, and the anxiety builds from there. Maybe it's the relationship with your kids. You look at your children, and, and the worry and the concern fills your heart. And there's times you look at your kids, and you feel like a failure. And there's times you look at your kids, you're like, there's no way I can prepare them for what I need to prepare them for. And the, the pressure is on for you to be perfect, though nobody else is, but it just continues to build upon you and build upon you, and the anxiety goes. How do you know if you're struggling with this kind of anxiety, this kind of worry that is found in Philippians chapter 4? Here's a, here's a few symptoms. You have some unusual mood swings. There's the highs and the lows, and then you're laughing one second, and you're bursting into tears the next. You're angry all the time. You're exhausted. Um, for me, one of the things that started happening in the last five years, I developed a nervous eye twitch. Um, <laughs> you may think I'm flirting. I'm not. I um, got a little problem going. So there's got, you got paranoia and suspicion can settle in. What does that mean? It means that, exactly that right there. Um, weight gain. 
<laughs> All right, let me go to the next one. Weight loss? There you go. <laughs> That's better. It's the unexplained idea of all of a sudden it's just, you're just not eating or you're eating just to comfort yourself. The, the, the increase of your fight or flight cycle where it's like, I'm going to fight everybody who even looks at me funny. And then it's, they talk mean to me, I'm out of here. And sometimes those things go like at the same moment. Another idea is, is the and this is, this is Frank, so here, I'll just fully own this one. Insomnia. Insomnia, I will... Um, actually, it's funny. I have no problem falling asleep. Uh, for me, it affects me. I'll, I'll wake up a couple hours later, and then I cannot go back to sleep. And then that cycle begins, and it's awful, because I'll lay there and be like, I can't believe I'm not sleeping. I need to sleep. I have such a busy day tomorrow, and if I don't sleep now, I'm going to be tired tomorrow, and then I'm anxious about all the things I have to do tomorrow. I'm going to be so tired, and it's like this. Um, other symptoms. You're using alcohol or abusing alcohol and tobacco because you're self-medicating. Um, or, this one's going to sting a little. Remember that exhaustion thing? Yeah. One of the things we self-medicate with is caffeine. Have you seen the size of those caffeine drinks? It's a keg. I mean, it's this... But, but we are so fixated. we got to fix the problem. <laughs> And then we wonder why we have health issues, why our blood pressure is through the roof, why we've got heart trouble, why we've got headaches and sickness and stomach problems and ulcers. And uh. Another symptom is, is a change in your sexual desire. Either you are very into it or very not into it, and then you are increased, um, increasingly tempted sexually. This worry thing affects a lot, doesn't it? How do we handle it? How do we treat it? I read a magazine, and then I read a fellow who read the same article, and he made this comment, and I'm going to steal his joke because it was funny. The magazine says, here's what you need. Behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy, antidepressants, a minor tranquilizer, exercise, and alternative treatments like yoga, aromatherapy, and acupuncture. And his comment was, all right, yeah. So I'm going to put my heel behind my head, smell something lemony while somebody sticks me with a needle. If that's not stressed, that'll do it right there. <laughs> but that's how we so want to just go. I just don't want to be stressed anymore. I just want peace. I don't want stress anymore. I want to be able to sleep. I just, I just want all my pe- the pieces to go back together. And so what, what do we do? We run to the world and try to figure out, okay, so let's just blanket and, and cover and paint over and wallpaper over all the structural issues instead of dealing with the issue. What Scripture says is this, don't worry. Worry about nothing. Worry about nothing, but instead do the business transaction of of Psalm 56. So when fear comes, I'm going to do the transaction. I get fear, God, you get my my trust. Worry about nothing, and I can do that because, as 1 Peter told us, he cares about me. So, So worry about nothing. He does care. Do you doubt God's care? Let me point a few things out to you. There's, there's a couple pictures in Scripture where God lays out for us the, the reality of his care for us. One of them is in Matthew chapter 6. It's the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 and 30, kind of in that section right there. Jesus is laying out the idea of don't worry about things, don't worry about things, and he, and he paints a picture of lesser to greater. And he says, listen, you look how God has taken care of the birds, right? Look how God has clothed the flowers of the field, Aren't you worth more than they are? Lesser 
to greater. Look at the character of God as seen in his creation, how he is a, a father who loves to, to clothe those things that, that couldn't do it themselves. And he is a father who loves us and cares for us. And so if he cares for those smaller things, he certainly cares for you, lesser to greater. But then in Romans 8, it goes the other way, greater to lesser. Romans 8, he says, the one who didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up willingly for us all. How could that God who took care of such a great need not care for the lesser things in our lives? He most certainly does. You want a picture of that? Parents, you ever taken your kids to Disney? You go to Disney and it costs you a fortune. It's about 190 degrees. There's cranky people everywhere and there's just sweat pouring off them. You stand in line for three hours to ride on the back of a plastic Dumbo, right? You look at your watch and you realize it's 30 minutes after your kids normally eat dinner. And you know to look at your watch because your kids are like, are you ever going to feed us? We're starving. I'm so hungry. Please, would you feed us? And what you want to say is, do you think I brought you all the way to Disney to starve you? Look where you're standing right now. Look how much I love you and care for you. Of course I'm going to feed you. The greater, the lesser. You see what God did for you in Jesus Christ? Of course he cares for the worries and anxieties of your soul. Do not worry. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. I mean, that's what he says. Prayer, supplication, petition, let your request be made known. It's not just about your treatment. It's not about your breathing exercises. It's not about your words of affirmation as you stare in the mirror in the morning. It's about him. I don't know. Okay, okay. So let's be honest. There's people sitting here like, I don't know how to pray to him. Just start talking. That's it. He hears you. This will blow your mind. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it. But here's the crazy part. Some of us are like, I, I don't, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to surprise God. You think you're going to surprise God? Just start talking. God, this is, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is how I feel. And this is what I'm terrified of right now. And, and it doesn't matter. So I've shared with a couple people, and this is reality. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, I had the weirdest argument with God this week. Here's public confessions, good for the soul. I, I literally was driving here on, it had to be Thursday. I wasn't driving here, I was driving down to Mount Airy Christian Academy, and I was arguing with God on the way, and, and this was the argument. It's like, God, when I preach on difficult times, you give me difficult times to make sure that I understand what it is I'm preaching on. And when I'm preaching on anxiety, you have filled me full of worry about a few things, so I understand what you're really talking about here. How come when I preach on generosity... You don't give me money. <laughs> and it's stupid, isn't it? But really, I was angry. And then it's one of those things where as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, thanks for grace. Because you just go right there. And <laughs> just start talking and share. Um, and hopefully this encourages you. I don't, you were prayed for this week. All of you. Because we prayed over these seats this week, where some of you certainly specifically sit many times, because this isn't easy to hear. 
And so we prayed that the Holy Spirit would open your heart and heal you and your worry and your anxiety. And in that prayer, I specifically said, God, I have no idea how to encourage so-and-so. But he does. He does. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And then be thankful for fill in the blank. Fill fill in the blank. God says you, you pray and you, in the middle of those prayers, you set your mind on the faithfulness of the rock. In the middle of those requests and those desires and that crying out from your very soul, reflect on the character and the nature of the God who never changes, even though the world around us doesn't stop changing. Thank him for the hard things. You know that that anxiety that you are filled with is an invitation for you to trust in him? What a good God to invite you to him. Thank him for the timing being different. God, I need this now and the timing's different than I want. Okay, Lord, thank you because you know better. Thank him for the opposite outcome of what you wanted. God, thank you. I wanted this. You gave me this. Thank you. You order my life and I don't understand it, but, but you're good and I can trust you and you see things far before I do. Thank him not just for the hard things, but thank him for your everyday things. This is a good exercise. Sit down and write the things that you're thankful for. I did. God, thank you for providing my food this week, putting gas in my car, putting a roof over my head, putting clothes on my body. Thank God that I got to see a beautiful sky this morning with a very bright moon. Thank God that he allowed me to survive last Sunday and so far this Sunday. I'm so thankful for my family, for my kids. I'm thankful to have, have kissed the most beautiful woman in the world. That's my wife, in case you're wondering. That's you, babe, promise. I'm thankful to have a supportive wife. I'm thankful to have a wife who's not afraid to tell me I'm okay. And a wife who's not afraid to tell me I'm being a moron. I'm thankful that that God has provided everything we need as a family, even though it may not have been everything we wanted. I'm thankful to see God work in difficult times by by giving us money or giving us the object we need or giving us a job to earn what we need. I'm thankful for the, the opportunity to laugh and laugh a lot with a staff who I love, with elders who I love, with a church that I love, with a family that I love. This is years ago, but it, um, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity a few years back to mourn the loss of someone who I loved dearly as a friend. I'm thankful for that because it meant I had a relationship with him that was worth mourning. I'm thankful that God has provided sleep at times when I didn't think it was possible. I'm thankful to be able to listen to great music. Thankful to know that because of Jesus, I stand forever forgiven. Thankful that because of Jesus' righteousness, that, that God accepts me. 
because of what he's done for me. I'm, I'm thankful that, that God, when I come into his presence, I can't get this one out of my head. This blows my mind. When I come into his presence, Zephaniah chapter three tells me that he is going to rejoice over me with a song. I'm thankful to know that even though I still sin, God is faithful, he is merciful, and he promises to forgive me. I'm thankful when I reflect back on how far I was from God when he found me. Because it shows how much he loved me that he was willing to go that far. Thankful to know that although I don't deserve grace, he daily tries to drown me with it. I'm thankful that he's given me the Holy Spirit to do what I should do. That the Holy Spirit sealed me into his family and that I will never be shaken out of it. I'm thankful that there is an inheritance waiting for me in heaven and no one else will ever touch it. Thankful that when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. I'm thankful to know that all the pain, sorrow, and sickness that I have and that I will have is only temporary because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. I'm thankful to know that God so loved the world, and that means me, that he was willing to give his son so that he and I could be reconciled. And if he's willing to give his son for me, what good thing would he possibly hold back? So in this momentary affliction of worry, stress, and anxiety, say thank you. Because the answer isn't a trouble-free or a bulletproof life. The answer is having a relationship with the God who orders my life. Didn't answer all the questions. But Lord willing, his word pointed us to the solution. The solution is knowing he's trustworthy. And we can cast all our cares on him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am, I feel um, just not able to communicate what you want communicated in this because it's such a big topic. And so, so Lord, I thank you that we have next week. But Father, in these moments as we close out, I pray that more importantly than in my feelings, <laughs> more importantly than anything else, that we would reflect on your faithfulness. Because God, we know you're faithful. We know you're good. God, we'll thank you. So in those deep, deep times of anxiety and worry, we're simply going to trust you and rest in you to do what you've done before. It doesn't have to be perfect in our head. It has to be perfect in your hands, and it is. So Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to lean on you. And we're going to be aggressive in trying to seek your glory. Lord, would you give us the power to do just that? It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.